0: Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Awesome. I love it. I love it. I love hearing stories of prayer. I love hearing stories of God answering prayers. I love being invited to pray for other people. I love in our church that before we ever began the plant, that we were a church founded on prayer. I love that if someone would say what are the strengths of our church, that prayer is one of them. Yes, people have prayed and shoulders have gone back in place. Yes, we have prayed for people who have had cancer and the cancer was completely gone. Yes, there was a time during COVID that someone was in the heat of COVID and was supposed to go to the hospital. And their doctor said, you cannot go until you are about to stop breathing. Remember those days? Right? Right? We prayed over the phone and she was healed. I love it on Wednesday nights when you see little groups of people praying together and God just divinely intervenes. This is what we believe. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. That's what prayer is, the primary work of God's people. So what does primary mean? Of chief importance. Of chief importance. And so we're going through a series right now called The One Another's, that we are stronger together. And here's what we're going to talk about this morning. Yes, we are going to talk about prayer again, because I really believe with all of my heart, mind, and soul, that there is a shift going on in the supernatural, and God is inviting us together to see a move that we have never experienced before. And if we allow ourselves to be faith-filled people, God's going to wow us. He's going to surprise us, and he's not going to scare us. Let's pray. Jesus, I really do ask you for just your leading in this message. God, I really do believe between different services that you're doing something different in each group of individuals. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, even right now for my sensitivity as I preach in this service, that whatever it is that you want to be said will be said. Whatever that you want to be held back would be held back. And that we would go from a place of unbelief to a place of belief in your divine intervention. And all God's people said, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 13. And we're going to go through about 24, but we're only going to read the first couple right now. It says here in James chapter 5, 13 through 15a. Are any of you suffering hardships, you should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And such prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. How many of you believe this? How many of you really like say like, hmm, I, I believe that. I believe God does show up. I, I love looking at the author. It's James. James is the brother of Jesus. Jesus was, of course, the oldest, right? He was the oldest. He was the oldest of about five siblings. And the reality is, is that when you read the Gospels, his siblings did not believe who he was. Do you know that? That while Jesus was walking on earth and doing the ministry, his siblings did not believe who he was. It wasn't until after the resurrection that his siblings came to faith. And one of them was James. And what I love about the the epistle of James is that when you look at Philippians and Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians and Corinthians, these letters were for specific churches going through specific stuff. But when you look at the epistle, the letter of James, this was a teaching letter for every single church to read and be applicable to their settings. So every church in the early church would have read James's letter and said, so how are we applying this to us? When you look at a letter... Think about it this way. The beginning of the letter and the ending of the letter are the two most important parts. Correct? Right? Whenever you write someone, you write a love letter. You first tell them how much you really love them. And then you kind of get like messed up with all that you're writing, or at least I do. And then at the end, I say the very same thing again as much as I can because I want to finish really, really strong. So when we write things, there's this sandwich idea. that the beginning and the end, is like the bread we start and how we end have such similarities. And so when you look at this, James is addressing something that every church needs to be doing. I actually believe this. I really, really believe this. That most Christians are more agnostic than faith-filled. Because most Christians believe in a God, right? But they don't believe in the power of God. You see, someone who's agnostic would say, yeah, there's something out there, but I don't know what it is. And so they don't know how to interact. Many Christians have lost this hope, this assurance of who God actually is. The divine being who created humanity and this earth and everything we see outside. I actually love that there's windows in our church. Isn't that great? Like you just get to look outside. You get to see the trees. You get to see movement. You get to see life. That God actually created everything, especially us, not including us, especially us, to be in a breathing intimate relationship with him. And the way that we interact, we engage with God, the primary way, it's not reading scripture. That's telling us who God is. The way that we know God is through prayer. If you've been coming to the plant, I'm going to say something that's going to drive you all crazy. Here he goes. He's going to say it again. God does not have his Favorites. What we see in scripture is God has his intimates, those who lean in and say, I want to know you. And the primary way to be in a living, breathing relationship with God is through prayer. Because when we talk about prayer, this is what we are declaring. That God exists. Amen? When we pray, we are saying, God, you exist. Let's do this together. Let's say, God, you exist. Say it. Yes. And prayer is saying this that you intervene. You hear how I said that? You intervene. Not that you will not that you can, or maybe, or sure, but you intervene. There's been multiple times when I've spoken on prayer, and there is this one section that whenever I teach on prayer, I literally go cut and paste. I literally do that every time I preach on prayer. I go cut and paste because for me, when I talk about prayer, this is how I want to be consistent because consistency in language means so much. When we pray, we paga, we meet with God. We meet with God in such a way that when we go to God, we are declaring to him that he intervenes. Here's the dilemma. He never intervenes on our time. Do I get an amen? amen? Dude, he is the 12th hour God. It drives me crazy. There are certain things about Jesus I don't like to read. I read one of them last week. But the one thing that drives me crazy about God, and I'm sorry, God, please don't smite me, is that you never are on my timetable. You surprise me at times, but 99 out of 100 times, his prayers are part of the sanctifying work in my life that teaches me to truly get to my heart's desires. But God always answers. That's what I've learned. Walking with Jesus now for over 31 years, God always answers. I I love what Jesus says. And I hope every time I preach, Jesus always comes into it because we follow Jesus, right? Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened for who? Everyone. Say that. Everyone. Everyone. Everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, finds to everyone who bangs on the door, that door will be opened. And when you really study this passage of what Jesus is saying, he's saying there are times that God's just gonna intervene right away. There's a time that he's going to just take you through this process of really dealing with heart's desires. And it's going to take a little bit longer, right? Ask, seek. But then there's going to be times where you are driven to your breaking point, and you are banging on the door of heaven, because there is a fire in your life, and God needs to intervene, or else. And my problem is is that most people stop at seek. Anyone ever do that? Just me. Look around. Everyone else knows God so well. Please, someone else, preach today. Thank you, Patrick. (laughs) But here's the funny thing about prayer. In our culture, we've made it about us, meaning moi. James says, Pray for one another. In other words, pray with one another. In other words, pray alongside one another. This morning was beautiful. Everyone got an extra hour of sleep or you stayed up too late and it didn't count anyways, right? So one or the other, right? Jack, what would you do? Did you get enough sleep or not? Did you sleep over did you stay up way too late? Too late? Okay, so it doesn't count for you, my friend. So, But it's this this truth. But this morning, we got up and we prayed together, Sue and I. Such a great way to start the day. Such a great way to start the day. You see, praying with one another is saying, I am coming in agreement with. When we pray for one another, we are saying, I am coming in agreement with. And before we started the plant, we prayed. In the beginning of the years of the plant, we prayed. In the middle years of the plant, we prayed. In crisis in the plant, we prayed. And today at the plant, we pray. I remember there was a season of our church where the Holy Spirit was just like, lean in And when I look back, I really see that there was something going on that no one could put their finger on, but strongholds had to be broken. Our staff would start prayer on Monday mornings at 8 o'clock, and we opened it up to anyone who loved to pray. People would not go to work until later. People would take time off of work. People would just show up. And they literally found that going to work later, one day a week, and some of these people were very successful human beings, got to be part of this movement of God. We would pray four, five, six hours on those Mondays. It was amazing. It was beautiful. And we prayed together I'll never forget the first summer of the plant. We just shut everything down during the week, and we we all would gather in our living room, and we would all pray. Wednesday nights, every Wednesday night, we are praying here as a church because prayer is of the utmost importance for us to be able to know God, hear God, obey God. Prayer. And I love what James does. He talks about what we should pray for. What should we be praying for? And he says, if are any of you suffering hardship? In other words, are any of you going through difficulties emotionally, relationally, financially, vocationally, interfamily relationships? He says, pray. Now, watch how he began his letter. Remember how I said like the beginning and the end that there's all these different connections? This is what he says in verse 2 of chapter 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity of great joy. Really? I don't know if I like James. Hardships are opportunities for great joy? Jerk. For you know... That when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So, let it grow. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing, James says, nothing. 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 see, when we go through hardships, this is what God is doing. He's strengthening us. He's equipping us. Too often when we become Christians, what we do is we literally believe that we're never going to have a problem again. But the reality is this. The moment you say yes to Jesus, there's a target on your back. Because God is saying, I have your best in my mind, and the enemy says, I will do everything to stop God's best. And that's why we wear the breastplate of righteousness. Because a true breastplate guards both the front and the back of a human being. And so we get the armor of God. So he may think he has a target on us, but the, but the target and the arrows that he shoots with, at us never penetrate. Do you understand that? Never. Never. And we will go through hard times, and we will go through hardships. But the problem is, is that when we go through hardships as human beings, we all go to a place of isolation. We can say, well, it's so Western mindset. No, Jesus talks about it. He said there's four seeds, and one of those seeds experiences me, experiences faith, and God's doing this great thing. And then he says, and then the worries of this world choke it out. You see, your hardships are thrown at you because you are human and there's an enemy that wants to choke out the work of God in your life. And when we pray, we cut off the authority that the enemy thought he had, the stronghold that he thought he had, and recognizing that that this season of life is actually to strengthen us and build us up and make us the men and women we are. So we pray that God would shift all things. And as we give God permission to shift that which is happening to us, we trust his work to be changing our character, shaping us and who, who we are and who we are becoming. When we were Married for several years, I went through this deep healing in my soul. And I told Sue, I said, the only thing I want to leave my children, unless I sell a bestseller, which I don't think is gonna happen because I'm not gonna have anything else to give them, is my integrity. My integrity. I could want to leave my kids all the riches in the world, but I said, I said, Sue. I just want to leave my kids the, my integrity. Yesterday, I went to a, a new friend who's become a good friend of mine. He's a minister in New York State, and his father passed away. may have been one of the most beautiful funerals I've ever been at. The whole place was just weeping and crying, and I didn't even know this dude. But as my buddy turned to the coffin and just gave his father last words I said, God, all I want to do is give my kids my integrity. Let me finish strong. The same way you begun in me, let me finish strong. And I went home, I said to Sue, I said, I just want to give my kids my integrity. You see, when we go through hardships, what what happens is God is shaping our integrity. He's shaping who we are. So that when other hard times come our way, guess what we do? We do it better. We do it better. We do it better. And what we do is we pray for each other. That when we're going through difficult seasons of life, that God is doing his best work in us. Amen? Amen. And then he says, are any of you sick? Is anyone sick? Pray. Yes, we believe in doctors. Yes, we've seen people who have cancer and and they've gone through chemotherapy and that's brought healing to their body. But we also know this, we believe in a divine God who intervenes in a divine manner. And I think that we are terrified to say that we believe in a divine work that even has divine power to change the human body. But you know, what the greatest miracle of all is changing a human heart. Changing a physical body, dude, that's easy. Changing the human heart, impossible. Right? Science has created everything to, to heal the body or think they have. When deep down, what's the one thing that every person wants changed more than anything else? The human heart. He says, if any of you are sick, call on the elders of the church. Let them anoint you with oil as a sign of the Holy Spirit, and you will be healed. I really believe that people think that God is too busy for their stuff. God loves all of our stuff. Even the stuff that we got ourselves in trouble with. Do I get an amen? And if you're a prodigal, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Are any of you suffering? Pray together. Are any of you sick? Pray together. And watch what Jesus does. And then he says, are any of you celebrating? Sing praises. I mean, Scott, dude had his shoulder down to here. It went pop. And all of a sudden, supernaturally goes, boop. And we're like, so cool, so cool. Good stuff, Scott. Keep it going, keep it going. Like, what the, what happened? Scott, you were healed. You begged God to show up. Yes, yes. In March, February, when we got together, you were praying and the enemy wanted to thwart you and keep you on the ground and say, look at old man, you can't skateboard. And God says, guess what? He's not only going to skateboard, he's going to look foolish, he's going to be healed and he's going to start ollieing out of the park. How awesome is that? And we're like, Oh, sucker! So cool. so cool. Really? Dude, awesome. Mariana, you were healed a few years ago. Praise God. Your healing changed your husband's life. So cool. So cool. I mean, you wonder why church is so stinking boring. Because we've not given God permission to intervene in our lives. Like, I know I'm weird. Craig Kunich from the Mawa Barn Grill tells me that all the time. But I will be weird for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Because every time he intervenes in my life or your life, dude, so cool. Right? Like, honestly. Honestly. How awesome is that? God is good. How many of you had an opportunity to eat this morning? An opportunity. I'm not saying that you ate because you all woke up really late. Okay. How many? Anyone? Okay. Please, right? Some of you just whatever, don't want to raise your hands. That's okay. Who got to potentially eat this morning? Raise your hand. Right? How awesome is that? Woo! Right? How many of you at least had a roof over your head, and if it wasn't yours, but you stayed at someone's house, house, someone else's house, and you had a roof over your head, how many of you had a roof over your head? How awesome is that? Woo! Right? I mean, think about it. This is what we need to get excited about, but it's it's these false expectations that we've created in ourselves that cause us to miss out on the power of God. Shame on the church. Shame on the church. I love seeing God do. I just want to see God do something divine. Boom, bingo, he did it. He knows our heart's desires. He says he gives us every desire of our heart. You see, when we start seeking God and we start banging on the doors of heaven, our desires change. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I want a cool second home in Vermont. Manchester Center, exactly. I know the, it's, it's, I know the street. We drive by it every, every time we go up there. And she's so like, why are you driving us crazy? I know exactly what I want in my life. But I'll tell you this. That's not my heart's desire. My heart's desire is that my wife will run with Jesus. My heart's desire is that my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandchildren and my my great-great-grandchildren will all run with Jesus. You know what my heart's desire is? And I kid you not, is that you all would run with Jesus. I'm serious. Verse 15 through 18. And everyone's going to leave the room right now. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Where is he going? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was, a human, was as human as we are. And Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, None fell for three and a half years. Then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. James says, Pray for one another. But yet, in the same thing, he says, and confess to one another. I love the Greek definition of of confess to declare. To say out loud. To exclaim. This is the best word. To divulge. Ooh, that's a dangerous one, right? Can I just divulge on you? That sounds pretty fun. Or to blurt out that which a person has done that has been offensive. Listen to the, listen to the rhythm. To God. To someone else. And the self. To divulge, sounds like someone's vomiting, right? (laughs) That was a weird sound. (laughs) To exclaim, to declare an offense that you or I have committed against God, others, and even self. Because we sin against ourselves. Paul talks about it. That when we engage in unhealthy relationships, we not only sin against God and others, we actually sin against ourselves. And here's what sin does. Unconfessed sin. It makes us misaligned with God. Meaning we start walking in an opposite direction even if we think we're walking in the right way. And then what it does is it makes us vulnerable to the works of the evil one. Because unconfessed sin, things that we have done offensively against God, others, and self, take us down a very scary path that causes us to live in a place of darkness, even if we think we are 100% correct. And when we live in a place of unconfessed sin, guess what happens? These things just snowball in our lives. And we start manipulating ourselves, we start manipulating others, and we start manipulating God. And what we do is we push ourselves further and further in isolation in such a manner that we miss out on God's best for our life. It's the golf ball syndrome. One degree of separation turns into 30 or 40. And you thought you were going so straight, next thing you know it, you are in the sand trap, you are in the woods. You're not on the green, and you are unplayable. You miss out. An unconfessed sin is so dangerous to us. It causes anxiety. It causes bitterness. And it causes unhealthy patterns in a person's life. When I came to Jesus, Jesus is like, You grew up a liar. I mean, literally, I had my father say to me one time, you lie so much that I don't like you. I love you, but I don't like you. I don't like being with liars. My whole life was built on lies because one lie leads to another lie, leads to another lie, leads to another lie, leads to another lie. And I can tell you why I lied. I can tell you unhealthy patterns in my family that caused me to lie. I can make really good excuses with learning disabilities and blame everyone else. But in my soul, I bought the lie. I bought the lie. And when I came to an enlightenment through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit said, you will be the most truthful, truthful person in the room, whether you like it or not. And so I started living in a place of confession. I started getting people in my life that I trust and would confess to them met Sue, dealt with all my immaturities and all my garbage, and she knew my past, but I remember when we were engaged, and like, I really, really need to be honest, that over-honesty thing. At the time, we went for a long walk, which we always do. I love when you guys see us walking around Allendale, and you beep, and you all wave at us. It's really special. We were walking out of Crestwood Park, and we were going up Fairhaven and Bonnie Ave in, in Allendale. We were newly engaged, and I really felt the Holy Spirit said everything on the table. At the time, I just had an injury playing college football, so I was about 80, 90 pounds bigger than I am now. She was 5'3". I divulged all over her, and she looked up at me, and she said this, I love you. (laughs) If you ever do any of that stuff again, I'll kill you. And I believed her. And I literally felt like it was God saying, I love you so much. You never have to live in the darkness again. How beautiful is that? You know how many guys would have been like, I'm out of here. I don't need to be killed in the middle of the night by my wife. Think about that. And I started these patterns of having healthy people in my life that I can be fully transparent with. And yes, she's my go-to. She's my ride or die. I needed that. Some relationships can't handle that. I needed that. Poor Susie Q, I love you. (laughs) But then he put other people in my life. A small little circle. small little circle. Hell or high water, I could call and they have my back. You see, when we live in a place of unconfession, we put ourselves in very dangerous situations. And then one day you're like, what happened? I have no idea how I made such a grave decision. And I'll say, let's story it out. Let's draw it out. And I've done this with some of you. I'll take a whiteboard. So say, tell me the first thing that happened. Tell me the second thing. Tell me the third thing. Tell me the fourth thing. Now let's put years on it. Now let's talk about the big one. I said, Where do you think it happened? There. The first place of unconfessed sin led to a horrific downfall. You see, every time we live in a place of confession, we're living in a place of wholeness like a river running through our soul, where God is constantly washing over us. Yes, it's true, unconfessed sin, which I have seen and I've experienced in my own life, causes emotional, psychological, interpersonal, and even physical harm to a person. To a person. Something beautiful when someone confesses, it's like this weight gets taken off their shoulder. It's like dealing with unforgiveness. is like this weight is taken off his shoulder. And God does his best work. His best work. Best thing God ever told me, I'm giving you a do-over. Prophetically, I'm very careful how I use this word. Someone wants to give, God wants to give someone a do-over today. Prophetically. God wants to give someone in this room a real do-over today. How awesome is that? How beautiful is that? Because God wants to give all of us a divine do-over. I love when he talks about this whole idea of of a posture of prayer. Prayer. He's talking about healing. He's talking about hardship. He's talking about suffering. He's talking about unconfessed stuff that is blocking you from others and from God. He talks about Elijah. Elijah was crazy. This dude ran faster than a chariot one time. He had a divine intervention that he was trying to get from point A to point B, and there was a chariot going from point A to point B, and he actually ran faster than him. Do you know that? Do you know there was a point where he actually called fire down from heaven and fire came from heaven? Do you know that when he was starving and he called out to God and said, God, I'm going to die. God sent birds to bring him breakfast and dinner. That's pretty cool. That's called trippy. Seriously, that's called trippy. Divine. There was a season where no one had anything, and God kept showing up. And every time God would do these big things, Elijah would either be strengthened or live into a place of insecurity. Anyone that ever ever happened? God does something awesome, and you go from like this great high or this great deep place of insecurity. He goes to Jezebel, and he tells her exactly what's going to happen. And how God's going to show up. There's this great victory. And in a moment of weakness, he cracked. He ran away from everyone and he tried to run away from God. And he was living in such a deep place of insecurity. These are the words he said to God. Take my life. I don't want to live. Elijah. Elijah. The same dude who called fire down from heaven was not able to trust God in a moment. And James says, and you, like Elijah, when you pray, your earnest prayers will invite God to show up. Because Elijah, as James says was just as human, past tense, because he was passed away, as you, present tense, are. You hear what I'm saying? Our prayers have great effectiveness and power. I love the prodigal son story. The greatest lesson I learned from the prodigal son was that the father sat on the porch and prayed. He didn't chase his kid. He didn't beat his kid. He didn't tie his kid up and never let him out of their bedroom again. But he sat on the porch and he prayed. And I love how the daddy prayed. He prayed with eyes wide open. You see, when you pray with eyes wide open, you're praying with an expectancy that God is going to do something right in front of you. You see, whenever I pray for deliverance, I keep my eyes open. Every time I pray for healing, I keep my eyes open. Every time I pray for an emotional shift in someone's soul, I pray with my eyes open because there are divine moments That you see a countenance go from sadness to joy. You see a darkness that slowly just kind of vanishes away and lights hits that individual. You see, I believe that as broken as I am and whacked as I am, God hears me and God responds to me. And I'll go down swinging. I'll swing away. But we don't do this by ourselves. We do it together. We don't make it about us, about me. We make it about us. You don't make it about you. You make it about us. Because God is saying, when you gather together in prayer, I show up. Where two or three are gathered, Jesus says, in my name. So I am there also. God speaking. Who's going to pick up? (laughs) Don't you love that? Love it. So, application. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.